This is Effed Up, a conversational podcast about injustice, true crime, and rosé. Season one of Effed Up is a story about the corruption in one state's crime lab. Listeners are advised that this podcast contains opinions that are our own. Are we recording? We're recording. Great. <laughs> Perfect. He's got a lot of Mom! <laughs> All right. Here we go. Let's give it a go. I'm Jessica Borges. I'm Priya Hubbard. And I'm Keith Burke. Where we left off last week was with SBI analyst Dwayne Deaver admitting before the three judge panel that he failed to report tests indicating a substance on Greg Taylor's SUV. A spot on his truck was right. not blood. Right. Not cool. it, it was, in fact, broccoli. <laughs> it was actually cannot cauliflower. Confirm that. Can, can, cannot confirm or deny it was broccoli. Hard to say. Whatever it is, it's not blood. It's not blood. <laughs> Deaver had said that his bosses told him to write reports that way. So Dwayne Deaver and the SBI are the main reason Greg Taylor was wrongfully imprisoned for 17 years. In February 2010, Deaver claimed there were policies in place for reporting in the manner that he did. Basically, that this was just the SBI, the State Bureau of Investigations, and its way. He was just following orders, but he was telling the truth, in a way. First time. (laughs) Right. Allegedly. Allegedly. At the State Bureau of Investigations Crime Lab, there was a practice of not reporting results of the secondary tests by some of the analysts. If tests showed that a substance that the police claimed was blood wasn't actually blood, analysts could and did withhold those results. Attorney General at the time, Roy Cooper, ordered an audit of the lab, and it would take months to complete. So during that time, investigative journalists had picked up the scent of something much more disturbing going on at the lab. And by summer of 2010, the local paper, The News and Observer, published a four-part series called Agent Secrets, written primarily by staff writers Mandy Locke and Joan F. It's crazy. Super crazy. What's it called again? Agent Secrets. Agent Secrets. Agents. Agents. Yeah. Plural. Yeah. Possessive. Yeah. And we will provide links for those on the Facebook page. They're all worth a read. And it's a very long series, but it's really worth a read. So action is being taken, which is awesome, because when you have such an obvious case of wrongful imprisonment, you want to look at what went wrong and try to fix things. So great. In fact, the SBI director, Robin Pendergraf, agreed. She was quoted as saying, if there is any question raised at the time, the SBI goes back and checks. Our goal That's is to be... That's not true. <laughs> <laughs> fucking liar. Allegedly fucking liar. <laughs> the SBI goes back and checks. Our goal is to be accurate and find the truth. There is no hidden agenda. So she said that in response to a group of defense lawyers lodging a complaint about the sloppy procedures in DNA testing in three capital murder cases. So did I mention when she said that? No. What? It was 2005. That she said all of this. Oh, yeah. Hi, liar. So Greg was still in prison and would be for five more years. But the lawyers at the time thought that because of these three fucked up capital cases that the SBI shitty work warranted an inquiry into the state crime lab. Yep. Yeah. So they filed their complaint with the American Society of Crime Laboratory Directors Laboratory Accreditation Board. (laughs) 
<laughs> ABCD, ABCD, Casually known as Asglad Lab. <laughs> Who fucking casually calls it as Asglad? What? Glad Lab. Um, yeah. So these lawyers, these fucking lawyers, man, were accusing the well. Those are scientists that did that. Well, that makes sense. They're nerds. Mm. I love scientists. Very smart people. I say that out of jealousy. Right. I wish wish my brain operated on that level. Same. It doesn't. (laughs) Well, I'm dumb. (laughs) So these lawyers filed this complaint accusing the FBI of fucking up DNA testing in one case and making significant mistakes in two others. So... It had become clear to one of the defense lawyers, Diane Savage. It's a good name. In one of the, seriously, superhero name. She was the defense lawyer in one of the three capital cases. She was also the chairman of this forensic science task force of the criminal defense section at the NC Academy of Trial Lawyers. There's you like sounded a lot of stuff. super Minnesotan right there. <laughs> Did I really? You said Academy. Academy. <laughs> <laughs> Roll that oh, tape back. Okay, so. Don't you know? FYI, I'm from Minnesota. <laughs> Skull Vikings. <laughs> All right. And if I ever become a rapper, my name will be Luda Fisk. Yeah. Yikes. I yeah. like. So she hoped that the Asglad lab would do a thorough investigation and shut down the lab until they came up with better quality control. Let's make a system that actually works and is fair. Mm-hmm. That's a novel idea. Yeah. <gasps> um, Already angry at this one. So one of these three capital cases was a woman named Leslie Lincoln. Jess, back to you. All right. So Leslie Lincoln lived in North Carolina. And she was married in 1983 for about 14 years. And when she got divorced, she ended up moving with her mother, whose name is Arlene Lincoln. And she was kind of trying to save money till she could afford to get back on her own feet. By 2002, Leslie Lincoln was 46. And she started to get her life back on track. She found a job. Things were looking good. Good job, good friends, great family, great future. On Sunday, March 17th, Leslie is out and about running errands. Her brother, Duffy, and her mother, Arlene, they were watching the NCAA basketball tournament. Okay. Duffy left Arlene's house around 4.30 in the afternoon. Meanwhile, Leslie (laughs) headed to Circuit City, where she bought a really nice bluegrass CD. And then afterwards, she dropped in to see her mom. So she was at her mom's house until about 7.30 p.m. On her way home, she stopped at Walmart, got some dog food, And there were a number of surveillance cameras that caught her on video. So we have tracking of her whereabouts on this day, March 17th. And I think we all know where we're headed here, story-wise. So we're not, like, spoiling anything by saying any of this. So the next night, March 18th, 2002, Duffy Lincoln comes to his mother's house. The door is unlocked. But inside, he finds his mother's body on the floor by the bed. There was a deep stab wound in her neck, and she had been stabbed more than 30 times. Jesus. Yeah. And Leslie was the last one to see her mother. So at this point in our research, we're starting to understand that the FBI isn't totally an unbiased entity. I'm kind of... That's fair. (laughs) I was kind of locked into Deaver, like, when I was doing all of the research a couple years ago, when Jess, you and I were working on Stranded, blah, blah, blah. And... I was curious about what sort of entity would hire a person like Deaver. Like, who checked his CV and like, oh, you're qualified to do this? (laughs) 
The relationship between police and forensic science starts with forensics being born out of a need for it within police work. But it's sustained through government money, and in this way, it's nearly impossible for forensics to ever be completely unbiased. So, here's an info dump. According to the North Carolina Department of Justice, the crime lab description is, it's a laboratory that operates a full-service laboratory, so they might need a um, copywriter. I'm available. (laughs) Okay. They help solve crimes. Lab analysts, so we're just looking at what lab analysts do and how they're related to the police. They examine all types of evidence related to criminal investigations free of charge to any public law enforcement agency. They provide consultation on the value, use, collection, and preservation of evidence, analysis of evidence, expert testimony in court proceedings, as we've already heard, and assistance for collecting evidence and processing crime scenes. This all sounds great, right? Like, this sounds like a really great lab. Like, I want to work there. In 1937, the State Bureau of Identification and Investigation was established. SBII? The SBII. They're just fucking with us now. Too many letters. (laughs) (laughs) It was called the SBII. So they were established in order to secure a more effective administration of criminal laws of the state to prevent crime and to procure the speedy apprehension and identification of criminals. The Bureau began operating on September 1st, 1938. In 1939, the agency was renamed the State Bureau of Investigation. The SBI Technical Laboratory was established that same year, so that's 1939, and became one of the first crime labs in the nation. The lab consists of seven sections, and approximately half of the lab's analysts are sworn SBI special agents. Just want to point out that, according to their website, the history of the SBI and its lab is to assist law enforcement in processing crime scenes. The history of the SBI and its link to law enforcement, which includes cops and prosecutors, plays very heavily into all of our cases, but also specifically with the Leslie Lincoln case. So, back to Leslie and Arlene Lincoln. So, Arlene Lincoln, who's Leslie Lincoln's mother, led a really active life. So, that Monday, when neighbors noticed that she hadn't been out working out in her yard or even picked up her newspaper from the walkway, one of them ended up calling Duffy, who is Leslie's brother, who is Arlene's son, and he ended up driving over. And Duffy said, I went down the hall to her bedroom, and when I got to her bedroom, I saw her on the floor. He called 911. There were three footprints in the blood by her body. The killer ended up leaving behind significant evidence. Police took various items from her home for testing. And police later learned that her credit card was missing. Police found that there was no forced entry. It was clear that the killer had a vicious fight with Arlene. One of the many stab wounds to her neck proved fatal. And she ended up dying on her floor within minutes of being stabbed. Okay, so Leslie ended up coming over and meeting Duffy at their mother's home that night. And it wasn't until later in the week that the police checked Duffy and Leslie for wounds and they found none. So because remember, it was like a really violent. Yeah, you would you would be injured if you had stabbed someone. If someone was fighting you back as you were trying to attack someone, you'd probably have bruises or scrapes or nicks or something. With a knife, you'd have cuts on your hand because like when you you stab down your yeah, your hand slips onto the blade of the knife. Right. Why do you know so much about this, Keith? I don't know. (laughs) 
<laughs> I'm scared. Okay, well, <laughs> Keith is going to be episode four. <laughs> <laughs> Spoiler alert! <laughs> so, Duffy's wife, Sharla, remembers the day a week after her mother-in-law's death when Leslie Lincoln realized that she was the prime suspect. Initially, there had been an inexperienced detective on the case. They didn't raise any red flags as the SBI was there assisting the investigation. Oh, yeah. And within a few days, this inexperienced investigator was replaced by Detective Ricky Best. So he's a key player here. Is he the worst? He's <laughs> not the best. So Detective Ricky Best was a career police officer with the Greenville Police Department in North Carolina. Okay. And he was known as a detective who operated within his own rules. And also, like, around this time, movies like Training Day were coming out. That show The Shield was out. Is that right? Seems about right. 2002. That show The Closer that I absolutely loved. And it was all about, like, cops operating outside of the rules of law enforcement. It was... Just kind of making up their own. But we loved them. They were It was heroes. celebrated. Yeah. Yeah, but that's a TV show. But, mm. it, I mean, like, I feel like through years past, this is what people have grown up to love. The, the idea right, of... Right, like NYPD Blue, like that kind of yeah. thing. Yeah. Yeah. Totally. No, that's true. Yeah. That's a good point. And Detective Best had a reputation with the Pitt County District Attorney, Clark Everett, as being a detective who would see the big picture. So not always taking care of the details or following procedures, things like that. You know, the important things. Yeah. <laughs> right? Who cares? Meh. So for whatever reasons, we just, we have no idea. We'd love to get into his mind. But he locked on to Leslie Lincoln as a viable suspect. And on September 19th, 2002, about six months almost to the day after Arlene was brutally murdered, the Greenville police arrested Leslie Lincoln. And what's kind of terrible about the situation is they didn't even tell her she was under arrest. They brought her into the police station for questioning. They chained her to a wall and then they said, you're under arrest for the murder of your mother. How can they do that without reading Miranda rights? Well, they may have done that. She didn't know. You know, she just was brought in for questioning and next thing you know, she's in cuffs. So... That Why was... is everything terrible? Can we talk about the fact that her mother was just murdered? So yeah. She's trying to probably process that. And now it's like she's now being chained to a wall and told that she's arrested for murder. Yeah. Like, horrible. It's fucking terrible. Yeah, what well, must have been going through her head? Like, oh, I'm sure she's terrified. So, for yeah, whatever... these are the people that are supposed to protect you and keep you safe. Exactly. And also find out who killed my mother. So, for whatever reasons... The district attorney, Clark Everett, soon filed notice that he would be seeking the death penalty for Leslie Lincoln. Like, pretty extreme. Yeah, like, where the fuck did that come from? So, Leslie was jailed under no bond. And she said that the first three days, they, quote, put you in isolation to make sure you're not going to hurt yourself. And the first three days, I cried constantly. And for Leslie Lincoln, those three days turned into three years. Eek. Okay, so... I'm going to take over here, and I'm just going to tell you just a little personal story. We have spoken to a few former SBI agents from the lab. Okay. Varying levels. I'm just sort of tying it into what I was talking about before, about how the SBI lab is really tied to law enforcement. And one of the ones we spoke to told me that he'd been in law enforcement for 30 years, 
he insinuated that things would happen to me if I wasn't on the up and up. But the fact that he considers himself a law enforcement yeah. employee versus a lab agent. Well, right, because you're supposed to be a separate. You're the the body that's collecting the evidence. You're not the one that's prosecuting a case or, you know, arresting somebody. You're just, you're supposed to be clinical. You're supposed to be like factual. Right. Like evidentiary based, not just like. Oh, it's not CSI. Exactly. CSI was never a real thing. No, because half the stuff they did in, on CSI, they made up. Yeah. It's a TV show. Yes. You're not a cop. Right. He, sh- he should be considering himself a scientist right. or an analyst or like whatever his title was. Like You wear a white lab coat. Yes. You're a scientist. But Jess remembers him saying to us when we talked to him together, I, and I don't remember this, that He's the one who wears the white hat because they're doing they're doing the job of the noble people. They're the sheriffs, right? But no, you're a fucking scientist. Yeah, it's also I mean a little bit diluted uh, about your self importance. Yes, friend. and not what you want to hear from a guy who's going to be like looking into the evidence of right. Who's supposed to be an objective exactly analyst, not a subjective. My takeaway from a conversation like that would be. Oh, well, so you're just going to, you've already decided that this person that you're collecting evidence on, you have an opinion, Mm -hmm. you know, rather than like, what does the evidence tell me? Right. Mm -hmm. It's like, I have an opinion, so I need to find the evidence that supports that. Right. That's not science. And it's also clear that if you consider yourself a law enforcement agent, you're working with the police for a common goal of like making sure the bad guys are put away. And in 2009, the National Academy of Science issued a report with a number of recommendations. And one of them, one of these recommendations, was that forensic labs should not be under the control of prosecution or law enforcement. So according to the Agent Secrets series, the the series of articles that were written oh, by right. the News and Observer, forensic science in America is corrupted by a fundamental conflict of interest. In far too many states, crime labs are directly linked to law enforcement, typically reporting to the state attorney general. A forensic analyst's aim should only be to follow the science, even if results won't please their bosses, those who are trying to secure convictions. But the pressure from prosecutors, even when it's not overt, which it often is, produces bias even in the work of the most fair-minded analysts. It's important, however, that the prosecutors think highly of the analysts. They depend on prosecutors to provide favorable feedback on their courtroom testimony as a part of a certification requirement for the lab. What? For every case the SBI works, police deliver a set of clues along with boxes and envelopes of evidence from the crime scene. They offer a story of sorts, a set of assumptions made early in an investigation. It's a faulty arrangement, according to the National Academy's report, one that colors which tests are performed and the results. Yeah, that makes sense. Because, like, if you're cherry-picking what stuff you provide to them, you're already deciding, like, which way you want the story to be told. Mm-hmm. As opposed to, like, here's everything that we found, test it all. Right. And give us the results. Yeah. And like I in some ways I don't totally blame them insofar as like I understand walking to a crime scene and you see everything that is going on at that crime scene and you make an assumption, which sounds terrible, but we're human, we do that. Yeah. Like I wouldn't fault somebody for that. 
I mean, that can be a working theory, but it's just a working until you can prove it. Right. So the dialogue, because an investigation can take a minute, the dialogue between police and SBI lab analysts allegedly continues for months. But initially, the analysts are given evidence from a crime and can be told to look for something in particular, which isn't a nefarious practice either, I don't think. Like if... No, I mean, I mean, that's pretty standard, I would think. So it's simply that this can just create bias. So like when you tell a lab analyst, I need you to check out this or like any conversation can create bias no matter what. And if the evidence or the results of the testing aren't clear, it is possible that the analyst could be incentivized to find results that favor law enforcement's cases. If they're looking for a good review, if they're looking for whatever, like yeah, I want to be the go-to person, so I'm going to help you guys out. Right. right. Give them what they want. Yeah. Right. right. So, according to the series, the director of the lab at the time, Jerry Richardson, said, we encourage our analysts to call local lo- law enforcement and say, tell us what you got, what's going on with the investigation. So, they're encouraged to, to do this. Analysts are expected to log the calls with the police and prosecutors, but sometimes those calls don't get noted. How convenient. That's a problem. With Leslie Lincoln, let's let's circle back to her. Okay, so a bloody handprint was found on Arlene Lincoln's bedsheet, and it was recovered during the crime scene investigation. Detective Bess kept this evidence in his possession for months. After Leslie's arrest, Bess carried the evidence to the SBI and filled out forms to have it tested for DNA. Why did he have it in his possession for months? Funny you should ask that, Keith. When I spoke with Leslie's lawyer, Buddy Connor, I asked him about this. He doesn't know. No one knows. It's really, really fucking weird. You know, I, I know there's that, you know, idea of what is it, chain of evidence or right. whatever. But like, I would think that you have to collect whatever evidence that day. Yeah. Seal it, date it, blah, blah, blah. That has to go to the lab then because... Who knows what you could do to that stuff over, you said months? Months. Yeah, that seems like a lot of opportunity to like, not saying that he did that. I mean, you're going to tell me what he did. But that seems like there's too many opportunities, even if you're not doing anything nefarious. Right. Why would you hang on to it? Why would you hang Because it could get, what's the word I want to use? Contaminated. Yeah. Who's to know? Like, it could mingle with another case. Spoiler alert, it doesn't actually play out okay. at all. It just more goes toward him strangely locking on to Leslie Lincoln as a suspect. But it seems really fucking weird that he would do this. So it's just... Yeah, that seems like strange to me. Yeah. yeah. So Detective Best ended up taking this to the SBI to have it tested for DNA. According to a July 2003 lab report by the SBI... The DNA extracted from the bloodstains on the bedsheets in the mother's bedroom and from a couch cushion matched Leslie Lincoln's DNA. Okay. Leslie was informed of the blood found in the DNA test, and she was shocked. All right. Yeah. But also, I mean, if it's her mom's house, she's there all the time. Like, her DNA could be... But this is the blood. Oh, it, the blood was Leslie's blood. Mm-hmm. They oh, tested sorry. the blood stain on the bedsheet. The, yeah. hand, the handprint. Yeah. Okay. okay. So... Leslie's attorney, Buddy Connor, a veteran defense attorney, didn't believe the testing. Sorry to interrupt, but the thing is, okay, so he's 
really invested in this case because he knew Arlene. He knows Duffy and Leslie, like before any of all the shit happened. And it's basically inexplicable to him that he's representing Leslie, who was being accused of murdering her own mother. He just, he didn't believe the test results. And he explained to her family she didn't have any wounds after the murder that would have bled onto her mother's bed sheets or couch. Fair enough. And on top of that, she actually passed a polygraph exam. Connor calls the lab to ask the analyst, whose name is Brenda Bissett, who's another key name that we're going to talk about a bunch, to double check her work because she was the one that did the initial testing. Despite talking to Bissett and her supervisor for over an hour, Connor was bluntly and unceremoniously informed that the SBI would not rerun the test at his request. So he was denied. Well, that seems yeah. a little suspect. Kind of a bummer, right? So only if a prosecutor or judge demanded it would the lab repeat the test. That was what he was told. Connor takes the matter to court and asks the judge to order that the evidence be sent to an independent lab for a retest. And the DA, Clark Everett, didn't object. He also ended up asking the SBI to retest the evidence itself, which was, like, pretty awesome. Considering that he wanted to put Leslie Lincoln to death, it's probably best to make sure that he's actually, like, the evidence is legit before we actually convict her. So... Or kill her. Or kill her, yeah. Yeah. March of 2004, Brenda Bissett, the DNA analyst, calls Everett, the DA, to let him know that she made a mistake in her testing. Oh... Hi. Do you want to know more about the lab? Ugh. Is it going to make me mad? <laughs> Law enforcement and prosecutors, oh, you, the defense attorneys, as their enemies. a yes. <laughs> <laughs> Law enforcement and prosecutors view the defense attorneys as their enemy and don't want to disclose things to outsiders. Defense are 100% outsiders, and lab analysts are part of the law enforcement and prosecutorial family. And... In 2007, there was a training manual for analysts that was still in use in 2010, instructing researchers that a good reputation and calm demeanor also enhances an analyst's conviction rate. That was a quote. Wait, what? That was an actual quote from their manual. (laughs) It's like they're teaching them how to win. Right. Like, it's so unnecessary. Oh, you mean like when they're on the stand? Mm -hmm. Uh, Oh. That seems... It's... Defense attorneys, the manual warned, often put words into the analyst's mouth to try and raise inaccuracies. Or, it also said, tell the DA in advance of any weaknesses in the case so that the trial of the case can be planned to minimize the weakness's impact. Huh. But it's not very unbiased. (laughs) Really? Hmm. And you... Would you want bias in a lab, in a science lab? No. No, bias. No. Yep. Yeah, I want it to be unbiased. I want it to be unbiased. Yes. I'm confused. I don't know what I want. What did I say? You said the right thing. She said, do you want bias in the lab? And you said no. And she was like... And then I came at you. (laughs) (laughs) Then I attacked you for no reason. (laughs) We're in a really big fight. Blink, 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 blink. (laughs) So, Robin Pendergraft, the SBI director... Claimed in 2010 that she had never seen the manual, but when she was asked about these directions for analysts, she said she found it interesting. How she's the director? How would she not? How could she not know what's in the manual? Right. Who knows what's going on at that lab? Who knows? Well, It'd be we funny do. if they found one a copy of the manual with their fingerprints on it. <laughs> <laughs> with hers. Saying. <laughs> 
So analysts were historically discouraged from speaking with defense attorneys about a case before trial. And now analysts are advised to speak with defense attorneys only after notifying the prosecutor so that he or she may choose to be present for the conversation. So obviously defense attorneys are becoming more savvy about the reporting at the SBI. The big giant pile of shady bullshit that's yeah. happening. So they hire their own experts to double check evidence that they don't oh. have the expertise to understand. And Chris Muma even told us about that. She's like, she didn't have the training to know that there was withheld reporting. Right. You just SBI. believe what you're presented in yeah. the trial. Well, yeah, because you're, no you, like, you're a scientist. Like, I mean, I'm not a scientist. So, like, if someone tell me, like, oh, here's all the facts. Right. Here's what they mean. Like, oh, you hope that you can trust what you're being given. Right. Right. It's hard to question science. Right. When, you know, when you're, when you are not a scientist and you don't know what goes into the producing those results. Yeah. Like, for me, I mean, it's a really bad analogy, but like whenever ratings come in for our show, I don't understand it. It's just a bunch of numbers. I just look at them like, oh, did we do right. better or worse? I don't, you what trust is it. What does this mean? And right. then somebody who understands it explains it. But like, that's what I would assume the same thing is, is like when you get these, you know, reports and stuff, it's just a bunch of numbers. Right. Okay. Well, what does this mean? Right. I'll leave it up to the experts to yeah. interpret. Yeah. yeah. But you want to assume that they're coming from an unbiased place. Right. One would hope. One would hope. So the defense are hiring their own experts to double check evidence so that they can understand things. But the SBI has met this trend with resistance. Yeah, because then all their, their shady shit would get out. Yes. Right. The lab has also resisted turning over other material that defense attorneys say is crucial to helping represent their clients. Examiners don't like to be challenged. And their bosses don't like them being questioned or observed. They're simply wary of defense experts. Included in analyst training manual is a memo prepared for prosecutors across the state by Michael Parker, a district attorney in North Carolina. In the memo, Parker warns against defense whores. Horse? That was a quote. Horse. Defense whores. That was a quote. <laughs> Parker goes on to promise prosecutors that the SBI will vet the defense expert, finding background information on him for prosecutors. What? They're like, find dirt on the other examiners? Crazy. And at the time... This is fucked up. A guy named John Waters, who was a lawyer for... Great director. Great director. Even better lawyer. At the State Department of Justice. So the North Carolina Department of Justice who has represented the SBI since 1993. He fought requests for information not specifically listed in the discovery law that ensures that defense attorneys have access to investigative reports. Waters is particularly resistant to defense experts observing tests in the crime lab. The philosophy... Yeah, don't watch our, like, <laughs> our bullshit, like, made-up, fake, non scientific tests. Right. Absolutely. Why would you want anybody watching that? Yeah. I mean, it makes sense, but it's also like, I mean, eventually someone's going to see through these giant holes in your argument, people. Right. So that exact policy was put into place in 2009 and it banned any observers from the lab. Became policy. <laughs> okay. Jerry Richardson, head of the lab, defended the policy saying analysts needed to work in solitude so they wouldn't be swayed by observers. 
But SBI officials even resist observation when the test would consume all of the evidence, leaving none for the defense test, which is what happened in one of the other cases that prompted the group of lawyers to lodge a complaint against the SBI in 2005. So Leslie Lincoln's case was one of them, and then there were two others. And one of those cases, there wasn't enough evidence to test, and the SBI tested anyway, despite the defense saying, don't use any more. Don't use any more of the sample. And then they just used it up. Oops, my bad. Yeah. So in May of 2009, Waters argued at a hearing that the defense's scientists could contaminate the lab. That was very Minnesotan. (laughs) He also insisted that the lab isn't equipped to handle a rush of outside scientists observing their casework. The building will fall down. Don't let any more people in. Absolutely. What does that even mean? So he's quoted as saying... good arguments. They're just like... Okay, carry on. So in the Agent Secret... Yeah. In the Agent Secret series, he's quoted as saying, I'm telling you that the thing that concerns us most is the precedent this would set and the potential for harm. I think if you look at the discovery statute since their inception, we've never been a testing laboratory for the defendant. We are the state's laboratory. Yeah, but you're supposed to be in it. Supposed to be independent. Yeah. Okay, so circling back to the Leslie Lincoln case. So there was evidence that Arlene Lincoln fought viciously with her attacker. Inside her apartment, there were three $1 bills on the couch. So nobody stole anything. Yeah, it was like a very odd scene. Like very little in her house was disturbed. So there were like a few dollar bills on the couch. Her eyeglasses were on the floor. In the bedroom where she was killed was a small drawer placed on the floor near her dresser. And her body was on the ground right next to her bed. Okay. In a massive pool of blood. Two of the police officers looked at her purse that evening and then weirdly gave it back to the family. They gave it to Leslie Lincoln's brother, Duffy. They didn't process it for fingerprints. That seems weird. Any fingerprints or other evidence from the purse was completely lost due to the police department's failure to process the purse at that time. So whatever could have been on that, it we will we'll never know. And the bed next to where Arlene Lincoln's body was found was covered with a white bed sheet. And that sheet had significant amounts of blood on it. And the blood in the blood near Arlene's body were footprints which were never even measured by Detective Best or the police department. So I'm right. He's the worst. Detective Best is the worst. All right. At 3.55 in the morning on Monday, March 18th, 2002, someone used Arlene Lincoln's credit card at a nearby gas station. Hmm. A video was recovered from the store. However, Detective Best and the Greenville police either lost or destroyed the store video. How did... Wait, what? Right. So (laughs) there's basically no evidence at all. Yeah, because they kept breaking it. Right. But there's especially no evidence linked to Leslie, except for the DNA test. Which was fucked up. (laughs) And at this point, Leslie has been in jail. I mean, that chick has one job, right? Right. Test test blood. Yeah. You got one job and you suck at it. Right. It's kind of a bummer. Time to rethink. Allegedly. allegedly, Time to rethink that career path. At this point, Leslie's been in jail since September 19, 2002 without bond. But the analyst had called the DA to let him know of her mistake a year and a half later, after Connor had had to jump through hoops just to get the lab to retest the blood evidence. Turns out the SBI analyst, Bissette, had mislabeled Leslie's DNA. 
Come on. So the DNA that was found at the crime scene was actually Leslie's mother's blood, not her own. Can't they just do one of those like pictures in the movies where they just see like with all the things and they slide them over each other and they match? Just see like they're the same blood sample. Science. Science. I mean, yeah. that's my version of science. Where like right. you know, you know, what I'm trying. To, mm-hmm. what, I, what I am saying. Mm-hmm. That, yeah. That one, you know, where the DNA has all the little markers and stuff, and they just slide them over each other. Right. Why did nobody just do something as simple as that? She may have done that, but she thought that she was testing Leslie's blood it, against the blood that was found at the crime scene, so it was a match. Right. Okay. Yeah, that's true. And you would think, though, I don't know because I'm not a scientist, but you would think when there is something as serious as the death penalty on the line mm-hmm. that you would do confirmatory tests and you would do, yeah. you would, you would double check or triple check when you have somebody's life on the line. Yeah. Yeah. Like take multiple samples of her DNA. Yeah. Like run them all separately. Mm-hmm. I mean, it could have been you an organizational I mean? thing. Because then if you mislabel one, you didn't mislabel 12. Yeah. Funny you should say that. <laughs> FBI Special Agent Mike Budzinski said about Bissette, from then on, all of her interpretations were flawed. She is very aware of what she did. She is aware of the gravity of the situation. So from the Witness for the Prosecution article that was part of the Secret Agents series. And the News and Observer. DNA is an exact science. Every person has a unique profile that belongs to only him or her. But at crime scenes, perfect samples can be hard to find. In sexual assaults, the victim's profile has mixed with the rapist's. Often, the evidence is degraded and scientists can only get a good look at a fraction of the 16 unique identifiers that make up one's DNA profile. Crime labs adopt their own protocol on what constitutes a match between a suspect and a mixed or partial sample. At the SBI's crime lab, the threshold is low. This Mike Budzinski guy says, we are not here to establish guidelines on just how many is enough. There are no minimum standards as far as I'm concerned. Which is an odd thing to say. Yeah. I feel like you should have a minimum standard. Mm. Like... So, according to an administrative order, seeing a suspect's profile at one of the 16 unique identifiers in the mixture is enough. How is that? No. Not good enough. That's not good enough. And... These standards are lower than other labs. It is highly irresponsible to make any conclusions with this level of evidence. It's highly circumstantial. Most labs won't consider anything a viable match unless three or four of the identifiers are consistent between the mixed crime scene sample and the suspect's profile. And this Mike guy said it's up to prosecutors. Oh, this fucker. It's up to prosecutors to determine how much weight to give the DNA evidence they offer. So it's up to the fucking prosecutors no. to decide. But also if you're only checking one, just to backtrack a little, like one location, just saying. Yeah. You might want to check a couple more. The SBI removed Brenda Bissett from her laboratory duties and she officially retired on May 1st, 2005. Well, that rhymes with fired. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> uh. <laughs> So it is possible that this was a case simply of human error, and the SBI did review its procedures in the wake of Bissett's mistake. Okay, that's good. Good. Yeah. And that Mike guy said that he 
would review the files for all 50 DNA cases that Bissett analyzed since 2002. Oh, gosh. They wouldn't, however, be redoing the analyses. They would only do this if requested by the prosecuting or defense attorney. But the SBI did not send out any formal notice to lawyers about the error. Well, how? <sighs> so. What? Pieces of shit. How are, how are lawyers? How supposed to know? Yes. But it's like they're, they can get away with being like, well, you know. We know this. We have this information, but we're not going to redo it unless we get asked. But it's up to you guys to ask. Yeah, we're me. not going to tell you that this happened. So. Right. <laughs> but if you, you know, if you ask us, we'll do it. But, you know. It's, sounds like a loophole. It's like very infuriating. Yeah. The whole thing is. Great. Yes. Yes. Yeah. So with Leslie Lincoln, with no DNA evidence, no murder weapon, no witnesses, Leslie says prosecutors offer her a deal. Oh, of course they do. Right? Sounds yeah. familiar, huh? Plead guilty to manslaughter and walk out of the court a free woman, no more jail time. Leslie says no. Yeah, help us cover up our fucking bullshit. Right. She says, quote, I can't do it. I said I didn't kill my mother. Instead, Leslie was given a $500,000 bond and got out of jail, but she was placed on house arrest because for whatever reason, she was still the primary suspect in Detective Best Eyes. Yeah, Detective Worst. Right. Leslie is home, she's out on bond, but she's on house arrest, and the investigation is continuing. So, Leslie wants the report from the lab of what went down with this mistake. Yeah, so she doesn't trust them, rightfully so. So she wants the <laughs> she wants fair. the paperwork to back yeah. up what they're doing, and the assistant district attorney provided Leslie with seven hundred and twelve pages of additional discovery. However, this discovery failed to provide any information regarding the flawed DNA tests or the law enforcement procedures which led to the false DNA report. So basically, there's nothing in any official capacity that proved that the SBI is making any mistakes, even though she already knew that they made mistakes. But there's no reporting of it whatsoever. And the SBI is not being transparent with what's going on inside that lab. Because they know that, like, you know, Susie Butzerpants got... (laughs) <laughs> fired, retired, for screwing up. Brenda Bissett. Yes. Yeah. yeah. And she could have just made a mistake. So, right. But there should be like a record of, I mean, that's the whole reason for the, the fiasco is specifically on the blood test. So to send like all that paperwork without those specific things, it's like, it's insulting. It's like, you know, the one thing I'm asking for, and that's the one thing you didn't put in there. Right. So it leads to further questioning what else could have been omitted. Yeah. So, but yeah. So at this point, the prosecutor has taken the death penalty off the table. The evidence that was tested, right. The evidence that was tested at the beginning of the investigation was retested. Zero forensic evidence linked Leslie to the crime. According to their report, the lab found no human blood on any of the knives that the police seized from Leslie Lincoln's house or from her truck. They decided that she had apparently taken, like, they had thought that maybe, like, she had taken a knife from her home and went over to stab her mom. So, they tested all the knives at her house. Okay. Nothing. The DNA testing also failed to turn up a match between Leslie Lincoln and any of the blood-stained evidence taken from her mother's house. The blood all matched her mother's DNA, not Leslie. Yet, Detective Bess still had her in his crosshairs for whatever reason. Because and at this point, he, Detective Bess is still the worst. And so he decides to get a little more creative, coming up with some jailhouse informants. 
three of them. Oh, come on. Yeah. It's like the same fucking... So in my notes, I wrote, do not ask us about this, Keith. This is so fucked up. (laughs) (laughs) Don't you dare ask us about this. But it it really does go down like a a really winding road that we're we're like going to keep it on track. But we did want to mention that there were jailhouse informants just like that's what I'm saying. It's Taylor. like literally the same yeah. thing happened. It's like wash red. And that repeat. person was a liar. Mm-hmm. Yep. Yeah. I'm guessing these they, people lied. Well, that's why Detective Best is best, is he had three instead of one. Yeah, he went the distance. Mm-hmm. Yeah. So <laughs> for two more years, it has already at this point been three years since her arrest. So we're looking at five years total. Leslie Lincoln has remained under house arrest at this point. Two years after the DNA mix-up, the case went to trial. On March 23rd, 2007, Leslie Lincoln was found not guilty of killing her mother. Thank God. Right. And, of course, she's grateful for the jury's decision. Right. However, her nightmare was far from over. Oh, God. She says, quote, It was pretty devastating because, you know, the bank had foreclosed on my house. My brother had to sell my horses. It was... Everything I had worked so hard for was gone. Leslie ended up homeless for two years before she eventually got a job. But the mental and emotional toll remains. She's diagnosed with PTSD. She says, quote, when I was alone at home, it was really depressing. Fortunately, the people I worked with, they knew nothing about it. But just having people around helped. It's still a struggle to this day. So that's kind of like this is one of the big things that Priya and I like latch on to with this stuff. Where it's like, yes, the policies are corrupt, and yes, there are bad eggs, and yes, things go awry. But when you really break it down to the human aspect of how these are affecting people's lives, it's so fucked up. On Like, people are looking at the bottom line. They're looking at sloppiness. Whatever, whatever is behind all of this, we understand that there's human error, of course, but people's lives are being ruined or lost completely at yeah. the hands of this type of behavior. Ugh, God. And the thing is, we already discussed this. They never made any sort of announcement about the mistakes that it had made. Right. Which really needed to happen. And something of that magnitude, especially in a capital murder case, really needs some sort of announcement, explanation, something from the SBI saying, this is what happened. This is what we're going to do to prevent it from happening in the future. Yeah, because, I mean, mistakes do happen. Yeah. You audit audit your procedures, and then you make adjustments. Exactly. And maybe, you know, you have somebody else do a similar test if there's enough sample Mm -hmm. to do it. Or somebody observing, and we already talked about the fact that they won't allow observers in the yeah, lab. Yeah, that's the problem. Like, for me, is like, when, like, just, you know, we're, you know, three episodes in, like, there's like a maliciousness and like a nefariousness to like what they're, what's done to these people. Cause it's not like one mistake happened. It's like, yeah, but like, there, there's so many things wrong. Like, skewing the evidence this way like not letting people see it not like there's just so many things that are fucked up with the system you know that like it's hard to sort of like get your head around like how's this even happening like 
you know, I'm just, I don't even know what I'm trying to say. I'm like frustrated. No, yeah, but, uh, yeah exactly. How is this even happening? Why aren't they? That that's the point that I'm making is why aren't they providing some sort of checks and balances? Why are they not aware that this shit is happening? The journal newspaper in April. <laughs> 2005 also requested public records about laboratory errors because, you know, the newspapers want to lock onto this and, and figure shit out. Yeah. The SBI's response did not disclose the error. And when asked about this, SBI director Robin Pendergraft claimed it must have been an oversight. Oh, come on. And Leslie says, even though I was acquitted, there's still somebody out there and there's still somebody out there that knows this person or has talked to them or has heard this person say something. I mean, somebody knows something about it and they need to come forward and let the police know. Yeah. I mean, cause like she didn't kill her mother. Someone did. That's exactly. That's the crazy thing. So it's like, like there's a murderer out there. Right. And it's like, she's still got to grieve for her mother's death is yeah. throughout this whole circus that she's been forced to go through. And Despite Leslie hiring her own investigator and finding a viable suspect for the killing of her mother, Greenville police stopped investigating completely. Shocker. Yeah. They considered the case closed. They maintained that they arrested the right person for the crime, and they refused to look for anyone else other than Leslie. She says, it's not fair to our family. It's not fair to my mother's memory. The whole thing is very sad. Mike, that guy Mike. But... You know, still like saying his last name. Budzinski. Yeah had said that he was going to look into Bissett's previous 50 cases. He may have, he may not have. We don't know. What we do know is that as the FBI looks into the lab, Keith, are you sitting down? I am. They find that SBI analyst Brenda Bissett misstated results of tests in 24 of her cases. What? What a dick. Yep. So, so this I, is like withholding stuff or just doing it wrong or. She misstated results. So in the same. Or mislabeled, no. misstated, mispresented. I don't know. Misrepresented. Misindependent. <laughs> <laughs> what I do want to bring up. We know that the FBI is looking in, is auditing the lab right now. Okay. We know that for a fact. Wait, that's happening now, now. No, no, no. In, in our now, in our 2010 yeah. now. And she retired, which rhymes with fired. <laughs> Seriously. In 2005. I think I was right the first time. Yeah. They knew about her mistakes. Right. See, that's the thing I'm talking about. Like, that's the shady shit. Right. Where it's like, mistakes happen, sure. But when you find out, you fix the problem. Like, not like, oop, look, let me hold this rug and sweep it all under here. That was a little ranty. <laughs> Same. I mean, we live with, like, hatred in our hearts for the past two and a half years. Well, that's normal for me. <laughs> <laughs> Next time on f Up, we'll check in with how the audit is going, the training practices, and the protocols of the lab, and another fucked up case. Thank you so much for listening. For this week, we'd like to highlight the work of one of the members of our Social Injustice League, who is combating effed up shit through her art. She's our cover artist for all of our episodes and for the whole damn series, and she's amazing. Please, if you have a moment, check out Allie Kelly's art on Instagram. You can find her at Allie Kelly Illustrations. A-L-L-I-E-K-E-L-L-E-Y Illustrations. 
And as always, we'd love for you to join us on our social media, where we'll be posting links to our research, photos, and videos on our Facebook page. You can find us on all platforms, Facebook, Insta, and Twitter at Podcast. That's E-F-F-E-D-U-P-P-O-D-C-A-S-T. If you need to reach us via email, it's the same deal. Podcast at gmail.com. And finally, we don't like to shill for ourselves, but this podcast isn't about us. Fucked Up or Effed Up is about helping other people, but in order to do that, we need to get the word out. So if you have a moment to spare, please rate us on whatever app you use to listen to us. It will help us become more visible and help us elevate the voices of the victims and survivors who have been impacted. If you have more than a moment and want to help us get the word out, please tell people, share links. The more people know about these injustices, the more changes that can be made. Let's create a fucking social injustice league and change the fucked up world. Effed up. (laughs) (laughs) Yeah. Okay. Done. Effed Up is executive produced by myself, Priya Hubbard, and Jessica Borges. Research and story is by me, Priya Hubbard. Executive Inquisitor is Keith Burke. Episode recaps written by Brandy Abbott. Social media hall monitors, Brandy Abbott and Paloma Diaz. Cover art is by Allie Kelly. You can find her work at Allie Kelly Illustrations on Instagram. That's A-L-L-I-E. K-E-L-L-E-Y illustrations on Instagram. Our music is composed by Allegra Borges. Executive in charge of support, Jeff Berg. Technical consultant, Randy Maringer of Maringer and Unger. On-air distractions provided by Nima and Newman, a.k.a. Newman. Additional investigations are provided by cat detectives, Monsieur Hercule Poirot and Captain Hastings. Special thanks to Marilyn Miller and Buddy Connor. Look at us talking about science. Like for I felt really smart. For, I'm just going to say I felt real smart for a half second. <laughs> I mean, I don't know if I was right or accurate, but <laughs> it, good. it sounded really good. You said it with conviction. <laughs> I really feel like we could get white lab coats. Uh, can we have stethoscopes too? Yes. Ooh. And beakers? Yes. And then we can be beaker. And then... <laughs> Can we drink wine out of the beakers? Yes. Oh, that's cute. Rosé beakers. Oh. Mm. Done and done. Okay.